Human traffickers in parts of Southeast Asia have been trawling social media, promising high salary jobs and easy loans, only to hand over the international applicants to telecom and online fraud rings. They often work closely with Iraqi Kurdish gangs, who control most small boat crossings from France. Western Cape law enforcement authorities are on high alert following a rise in gang activity and gun violence in recent weeks, especially on the Cape Flats. Eleven people were killed in Sweden in September alone due to gun violence. Uh, the country, according to him, is now the European capital of gun murder. The South American country of Ecuador is under a state of emergency because of widespread criminal violence. The president is calling it an internal armed conflict. In Papua New Guinea's capital too, politicians and officials have been accused of being too close to the logging companies and of taking bribes to help deals go through. Welcome to The Index, a podcast by the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. This series delves into the Global Organized Crime Index and takes a look at some of the biggest threats facing countries and regions around the world. My name is Thilai Nguyen. And in this episode of The Index, we're going to be discussing Papua New Guinea, the island nation in the Pacific Ocean. Over the past two years, the levels of criminality in the country have risen. It has climbed six places and now sits 63rd out of 193 countries. It has the highest criminality levels in both Melanesia and Oceania. And as so often the case, resilience levels have dipped. Papua New Guinea is right at the bottom in both these regions and sits 155th globally. In fact, there are a number of criminal markets that are particularly prevalent, and these include financial crimes, human trafficking, and non-renewable resource crimes. But in this episode, we want to focus on illegal logging, because Papua New Guinea has the second highest score of flora crimes globally, at 8.5 out of 10. Now, much of the timber that is extracted from the country end up in Asian markets. Papua New Guinea is the largest timber supplier to China in the world. But it is also among the top 10 countries for forest loss. And this threatens the lives of indigenous populations and biodiversity. Joining me for this discussion is Eddie Tanago-Payne from Act Now for a Better Papua New Guinea which is a non-profit community advocacy organization. Eddie, thank you for being with us today. Can you tell us how concerned are you with the level of criminality within the timber industry? Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. The level of criminality, in, especially in the timber industry in Papua New Guinea, is, is a massive concern, especially for those that are affected, the communities that are affected. Unfortunately, this is not reflected in the responses that we've seen from the law enforcement agencies like the police and the courts. PNG's Revenue Commission is taking some steps at looking at companies who are evading tax. And the commercial banks have also responded positively to money laundering concerns that we have raised. But there is more that needs to be done. Who's behind this illegal trade? I mean, are these criminal groups or networks? Or are these actually legal and legitimate companies? They are both. Interpol says that environment crime, which includes forest crime, is now the third largest area of criminal activity worldwide and is linked to drug crime, human trafficking, even terrorism financing. But the whole illegal logging industry 
is fronted by legitimate login companies and supported by a whole host of businesses, including the banks, accountants, lawyers, shipping agencies, timber traders and processors, and even high street retailers. And could you tell us where these companies come from? Most of the login companies are mostly predominantly from Malaysia. But the timber is traded to China and then into the global markets and high streets all, all around the world. You talked about the fact that, you know, that criminality is a massive concern and these are actually legitimate companies, but with a wide range of actors that are supporting their activities. Can you tell us a little bit about what are some of these illegal activities that they do, you know, besides just deforestation, illegal logging? The land tenure system in Papua New Guinea is such that it is most of the lands are communally owned or customary owned, as we say it here in the country. And the most important aspect of, of acquiring legitimacy or acquiring title over the land before any logging happens is that consent, informed consent of, of resource owners or landowners is it's very, very important. In most of the cases that we have identified and, and we have worked in with over the years and the communities that we have worked with is that one of the key aspects, which is FPIC, or free pioneering from consent from resource owners, has never been engaged. And in, it's very much stipulated in, in our laws as well, especially to do with logging. And this has been something very important that has been missed out over the years, and it still is. I also understand that, you know, these companies underreport the kind of timber that they extract or they also evade taxes. Surely there are local laws and regulations against such conduct, right? And like you said, the free informed prior consent is not being necessarily followed. Why are these companies allowed to ignore the need for FPEG or the fact that they underreport the extraction or evade taxes? I mean, how come they are not penalized for breaking these local laws and regulations? I think it boils down to only one answer, and that is corruption. It's estimated that more than half of our annual budget goes missing every year. And corruption is a major issue, not only within the logging sector, but it's widespread. So when corruption is, is practiced, and we see that very much predominant in this sector, and that involves politicians, bureaucrats, even police are paid off to look after interests of, of logging companies. People are actually harassed when they stand up to fight for their rights over their land and their resources. Internationally, we don't think the problem is really much being recognized as a criminal law problem as yet. And that is something the international community really has to look into to make sure put pressure on the government and to make sure that it is a problem that is really much prevalent. Eddie, I actually want to come back to you to talk more about the corruption that you just mentioned. But for now, I want to know about the relationship between politics and the timber industry. Is there a close relationship? What is it like? The logging industry has traditionally been a major financier of most of the political parties we have in the country. And most of these political members of the political parties are under the payroll of these major logging companies that are currently operating in Papua New Guinea. And of course, this is all hidden within the scenes. So would it be accurate then to say that there's corruption within the traditional governance structures sort of accommodate the illegal logging that's happening in Papua New Guinea? Yes, it thrives in Papua New Guinea. PNG is rated as one of the most corrupt countries in the region and is one of also globally. Are there any anti-corruption measures at all that are in place to address 
you know, obviously we are talking about illegal logging here, but also other types of crimes. There's been measures put in place, but it is still a huge concern for us as an organization. PNG has recently created by law an independent commission against corruption, but it's not fully operational and it is very, very much underfunded at the moment. But this problem of forest crime in Papua New Guinea is just, it's, it is not just a problem to be solved here. The timber and the financial returns obviously flows around the world and the international community also needs to take action on this. It involves those that are buying, those that are actually using the byproducts of the timbers and the value chain itself. So everybody has to act together to ensure that this practice of illegal logging and especially forest crime is stopped. I would like to come back to you later on what you think the international community should do when you say, you know, they should do something. But first, can you tell us about the damage this illegal logging does to the environment and the communities that live there? I understand, right, that Papua New Guinea has the third largest rainforest in the world. The damages it does is is eternal. We are a community that is land plus also environmental based. Most of our economy, the real economy we always promote is, is based on the land and that's where very much people are, are dependent on. Now, when environment is destroyed, especially in this particular case for logging, people's livelihood are destroyed, their supermarkets are destroyed, their cultural foundations are destroyed. It causes conflicts among communities and it destroys the harmonious communal living that once they lived. It also provides us the lungs of the earth. And once we have this forest destroyed, then, you know, the world also suffers as well too as a result of the greater deforestation that happens within the forest in Papua New Guinea. Yeah, so the impacts actually is not limited to Papua New Guinea. It actually affects, you know, the global community as well, right? That's right. That's right. You also spoke earlier about the fact that, you know, illegal logging is linked to corruption, but also linked to perhaps the drug trade. Can you talk about the other crimes that are associated with this industry? Just like any other crimes as well, it's also the proceeds that are coming out from this forest crime that is invested or put into the the formal sector. It's been laundered in there. So it's just like you know, the issues that we face with issues on, on drug trafficking where money is laundered to make it clean. It's also the same thing here in this country where most of the proceeds are channeled through banks. There are accountants that use, accounting firms that use these monies to send money also where it is cleaned and laundered and, and put through the formal economy. And that is something too that we've really seen very much happen from the logging sector here in this country. Are there also issues around, you know, trafficking and people smuggling that are involved with the illegal logging industry? There are traces. There are actually traces of, of such happening. And most of what's happening in this country is that most of this logging are happening in very, very remote areas where there is no monitoring happening by the authorities. The chances of those happening are very, very, very much high. Mm. So there's also a wide um, variety of other crimes and activities that are associated with illegal logging that is not just about cutting down trees illegally, but other exploitation and criminal activities as well. Exactly. You know, the process of all those illegal activities have been channeled through the mainstream economy where it's been all cleaned 
we now have issues on drug trafficking, which is a very big issue at the moment now in this country. So when logging is happening in very, very remote areas where there is no monitoring, there is really no law enforcement within the communities which are very much remote. And as I said, with issues of drug smuggling, which is very much prevalent now in country which is next to Australia, and Australia is very much feeding from drugs that are coming out from Papua New Guinea. So there are high chances that, you know, drugs are also being channeled through these very remote logging operations that are happening in the country. Last question, Eddie. You spoke quite a few times about the fact that this is not just a Papua New Guinea problem and that the international community has a role and responsibility to play, particularly because the timber that was extracted from Papua New Guinea end up in other places. What, in your opinion, can be done to improve the situation for the citizens of Papua New Guinea, both perhaps within the country and also from the international community? It's not only a problem for Papua New Guinea. It should be seen as a problem for everybody, including the international community. What we'd like to see is that the international community has to stand up to its own policies and make international commitments and stop the flow of stolen timber and the money that is the proceeds of crime. Action is needed on the transporting and processing of what is stolen timber and the support services like banking and lawyers and against the money that is being made from such illegal activities. That's all we have time for in this episode of The Index. Thank you to Eddie Tanango Payne from Act Now for a better Papua New Guinea. Now, in the podcast notes, you'll find a link to both the Papua New Guinea Country Profile and the Global Organized Crime Index. It's a totally free resource and available to everyone. Just head over to ocindex.net. Now, the Global Initiative has some upcoming papers covering this topic later this year, which will delve into this region in much more detail. We'll be back with another episode of The Index soon. I'm Thin Lewin. Thanks for listening. <laughs>